12. It's a Bible preaching, Bible teaching church, Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 2. Uh, this is, this is uh, one of my classical series messages of classical series. This, I've never done that. I've prepared this sermon from scratch. Um, never looked at anything else I've done on this passage, though I have I think, preached on this passage a, few, a couple times. And, uh, but this message I never have done. I took it from another, another angle, a phrase out of these two verses. How not to ruin your race. How not to ruin your race. I always like how to everything. I mean, I go on YouTube. If I want to, I, I was trying to take wallpaper off of my, my, my bathroom. And, and uh, I'm, I'm, I, trust me when I tell you this, we're never putting wallpaper up again. Uh, I put wallpaper up in my house, and I don't know what was wrong with me, but uh, temporary insanity, I think. But I want to start taking this wallpaper off, and brother, all of you people out there know how to do it better than I do, because you say so. And uh, you tell me how you did it, and how it was easy, and how you did this. You rub this on it, you rub that on it, you, you put holes in it, you put vinegar on it, you put, you put cauliflower. I mean, you did all kinds of stuff. Your witchcraft, it was voodoo. Uh, you know, you spit on it, you know what I mean? You know, and it just whoop, comes right off, man. It comes right off. Just whoo, comes right off. No, no, it comes off half inch by half inch. And I went and rented a steamer and got a steamer and steamed that baby till I, till, till, uh my hair was straight. And uh, I steamed it. I grabbed it. But it took an it took unbelievable amount of time to get that wallpaper off. But I went to YouTube, started doing how-to. How to take wallpaper off. I couldn't believe how helpful. YouTube. I put in there how to be a doctor. It's got a whole thing on there. <laughs> how to take care of your animals without going to a vet. They got all that on there. Most of them just have a gun and a bullet. But anyway. Uh, wherefore seeing we also are compassed about. The writer of Hebrews I believe was saved. What do you think? I think the writer, I don't know who, you notice I don't say who the writer is. Uh, we have extinguished people here, like Tom, <laughs> I mean, ex- uh, distinguished, excuse me, like, like Brother Tom, and he could, he could say, well, you know, I think Paul wrote it, or maybe you think Apollos wrote it. Theologians will go head-to-head on evidences for all that, but I don't care who wrote it. The Holy Spirit wrote it. The Holy Spirit used the man to write it. But whoever this man was, God used the gifts of the individuals as they wrote the books. God did not wipe away their education. He did not wipe away their vocabulary. Peter, uh, the, the, the first and second Peter, is the most uh, grammatically uh, uh, hard. Uh, he made words up. There were no I mean, he, he, he was horrible in Greek. Okay, just to say what it was. Peter was horrible in Greek. He was a fisherman, and he talked like a fisherman, and he wrote like a fisherman. And, and yet, on the other spectrum, we have Paul, which is a master of languages. Isn't it interesting how God uses all different kinds of vehicles? See, the vehicle doesn't get the glory, but the master of the vehicle gets the glory. And so he don't mind using a Paul if, if he'll get the glory. He don't mind using a Peter if he gets the glory. He'll use you. Whatever you have, you give him, he'll use it for his glory and honor, and God will do it. But he'll have to get the glory because it is going to be him that does it. Wherefore, seeing we, we, including himself, also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us 
there's four, at least in my notes, there's going to be four let us. I always like to use these places in Scripture as I'm doing, a, even if it's unrelated to my message, to, to pause and to address some false teachings. Calvinism, uh, well, you may call it hyper-Calvinism, but John Calvin, whatever it is, institutes, created this, this thing of tulip where almost God has all the control, does everything, makes all the decisions. You don't even have faith to believe. He gives you the faith to believe. I mean, just everything. And, and you got nothing. It's total God, no man. That's not the Bible. That's not the Bible. Quit reading the, those theology books and read the Bible. Well, he says four different times here, two of them understood, two of them verbalized, let us. I see a very, very clear teaching in Scripture of our personal responsibility to make decisions. This year, God has laid out a winning plan for you. I mean a winning plan. That in 272, at the end of 217, December 31st, at 27, you're going you're gonna to look back. If you do God's winning plan for you this year, you're going to look back and say, glory to God, I'm glad I lived that year. Praise God I did what he wanted me to do. Woo! Now, if you vary off of that, in whatever degree you vary off, that'll be whatever degree that you will not have the results and the joy that God wants you to have. He says, do these things, your joy may be full. Your joy. God wants us to have full joy, exceeding joy, above above. Oh, he wants us to walk around oh, overwhelmed by who he is and, and what he is doing and, and just who just extol the one who is all and all. To love on him. Yeah, to love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. He says, let us lay aside every weight, and, let, and if I may say it this way, let us lay aside every sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the run that's set before us, and let us look unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, come now in these few moments. Uh, encourage us in the faith. Help us to run a race this year. Whether we like it or not, we're in the race. We're thrust in the race. Help us to run it. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a formula in this passage, as clear as anywhere in scriptures, for winning the race of life for Christ. This is not talking to the world. This is not talking about their goals and their ideals and their standards and what they define success. This is talking about what God defines as success. And what the Bible, what's reality? Because God's reality and all that other stuff is error. And so the world puts all these errors in front of you that you ought to live this way this year. You ought to live this way. You ought to live that way. You ought to do this. And, and at the end of it, you're going to realize God's true and that's an error. Everybody will one way or another. But you're in a race. The, the, the passage brings you into the race and says he assumes that as a born-again Christian, you're, the, you're in the race. You, and you understand you're in the race. Uh, race is competition by its very nature. Competition. Race uh, means that you're trying to get, you're trying to reach a goal by just definition. You're trying to reach a finish line. You're trying to reach a goal. And at the end of that goal, by definition, is a reward for, for running the race and for winning the race. Um, and uh, it, it's there. You, enter, enter, you entered into this race when you got saved. You were given a coach and a personal trainer. 
to win the race. That's the Holy Spirit. You have a coach and a personal trainer. You were given a training manual on how to win the race. And that's, of course, the Bible. You were given examples on people who've won the race ahead of you that are not talking from theory, but are talking from experience. That's, of course, chapter 11. Chapter 11, which is before chapter 12. That's deep, amen? But we're, we're, given, we're given everything we need. Everything is in your favor in 2017 to win the race. You can win the race. You do not have to fail. Hebrews 11, as the examples of those who have succeeded by faith and not succeeded in any kind of definition the world would say succeeded. But they're the historical winners. They're the heroes of the faith. They've been called, this 11th chapter has been called the great hall of faith. Some call it the hall of fame. Some call it the hall of heroes. But these, these people were vastly different. If you read down through chapter 11, they were vastly different from each other. Uh, they didn't do it the same each. And, and, and there were none of them. There's only two people I know of in the Bible that, that, that have a, a very a large part of Scripture that nothing bad is spoken of. One of them is Joseph. One of them is Daniel. I have never read anything bad spoken about Daniel. And I've never read anything bad spoken about Joseph. Other than maybe you could take that he bragged to his brothers that he was going to someday rule over them. I think that was unwise. What do you think? As a baby, I'm a baby of, 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 of three boys, and, and I just don't think it was smart to go to your 10-year-old 10 10 older brother and much bigger and tell him how someday you're going to kneel to me. I just don't think they may have, they may have sold me off had I done that. seemed like a lack of wisdom on his part, which he later was able to make up. But he, when given the testimony, said, well, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. I mean, wow, you passed, Joseph, you passed the test? Every way you took it. I mean, that woman that was after him. Uh, far, and, and, just day, and the Bible, the, the thing that made that bad about Potiphar's wife was the day after day deal. It wasn't that she took a big shot on him and tried to get him to do something. But the Bible said, there's something about dripping water, brother. There's something about familiarity. It's powerful. And, and he even did not fall to that, to, God, to the glory of God. It's God's hall of fame. God has given you, you, you and me, he's given us examples. The Holy Spirit of God is our personal trainer. The Bible is our manual uh, to how to win. And then the, the 11th chapter is a group of people. Look at all these. And, and, you know, Hollywood tried to get Hillary elected by using all of their, their uh, well-known personalities to get up there and say, you ought to vote for her, you ought to vote for her. Boy, that all backfired, amen. Hollywood is in a bubble dwelling on some planet off, off of the earth. But God's given us personal witness, not well as a classical. I'm going to call chapter 11 a classical witness. These are classical examples of people who had victory. But they're also, each of you here tonight have a personal group of people that have been victorious that you're looking at and you have looked at, 
and, and my list is this, and for the sake of some of you older folks, and I don't think Jane, this is for your sake and a few others, here's some people who have encouraged me to live the Christian life and to run the race. Jim and Beth McCullum. Phyllis and Ernie Stewart. Ralph and Gloria Stevens. Grandma Cooper. Grandma Witt. Grandma Jury. Jack Weathers. Ori Dumont, Hilda Dumont, Jack Sampson, Paul Terwilliger, Jim and Phyllis Teal, Grandma Winkler, Ray Hemmings, Ray Hemmings. Every one of these has a memory for me. Ray Hemmings, he was a hillbilly from Kentucky. And you know, I'm not speaking anything about Kentucky, but there are a lot of hillbillies in Kentucky, especially up there by Louisville. But anyway, uh, I love this. this. This old boy loved Jesus. Man, he was a hillbilly who did not have the King's English figured out. And, and he never went to school. And, and, and I'm not even sure if he, he may have been one of them guys that did not know when he was born, exactly how old he was. And had no birth certificate. And so, but I love this guy. He loved Jesus. Man, and on the front of his yard, it's Imperial, I'm going to think, it's coming clear to me. Imperial Bonita Estates. As you're going down Dean Street and you want to take a left in Imperial Bonita States, he had his sign on the right there. You may remember this. It said, Jesus is coming. C-O-M-M-I-N-G. C-O-M-M-I-N-G. I thought, glory to God, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming again. I love that old boy. And, and it, he said, and, but that's the way, that was just the beginning of the way he talked. Ray Hemmings is in heaven. He lo- he's in heaven with the Jesus he so loved. He's run the race. He's been a personal example. Charlie Green. Charlie Green. Joe, this goes way back, Joe Pickering. Joe Pickering. Died about 82. Keith Dumont. Uh, was a, 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 a chosen few Marine that melted his machine gun barrel killing Chinese. And they stacked him up, he said, like cordwood. And he wondered if he was going to be able to go to heaven having killed that many people. I said, yes, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. You were, however, doing the duty under orders and penalty of death if you didn't follow him. I somehow don't think you're personally responsible for being a soldier, but will you take it however you want? Ed Hinton, old weightlifter, Ed. Jack Sheehan, Neva Conquest, one of the oldest women to ever get saved at gospel. I think she got saved in her 90s, and she lived up to, I think, 103. Gussie Warfield told me off straight eyeball to eyeball how bad I was. I can't believe it. Can you imagine doing that? Some 150-plus people I've buried personally, but there's been probably somewhere around 300 I've known personally that are in heaven today, right now. And, and more than that, if I think back about the churches in my childhood and I grew up with those people, and, I, and I've forgotten their names, but they were examples to me of running the race. It was said before me, it's so important you old folks finish well. 
It's so important you old folks do right till the stars fall. It's so important you old folks don't leave your don't leave the old girl when she gets where she can't help you anymore. It's important that you old folks show that there is a God and the Bible's true and there can be loyalty all the way to the end. There can be fidelity all the way to the end by the grace of God. The Christianity does have power over sin. So there is given a classical example. That's the people of the Bible and specifically in context, Hebrews 11. Then there's personal example. That's those people that each of us have. And you may say to me, well, preacher, look, man, I don't want to run any race. You don't have any choice. If you're a child of God, you're in it. There are eternal rewards to, to gain or to lose this year. There are eternal souls to gain or lose this year. There are eternal consequences to your deciding that you're going to be in this race. You're not just going to casually, haphazardly, unplanned walk through 2017. And maybe if I live for Jesus, I do. Maybe if I don't, I don't. Maybe I read my Bible, I do. Maybe I won't. Because I can guarantee you at the end of 2017, you probably won't. If you don't plan on this, if you don't nail this thing, I'm going to come to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, I'm going to be faithful to the things of God, the local church. If you don't plan on those things, if you don't make those things a, a let us, a decision, I doubt if it will be very consistent at all. As an employer, how would you like it if your employee only showed up when they wanted to? You're talking about the millennials now, aren't you? No, I only showed up when they wanted to. I only showed up, uh, they, they stubbed their toe, they didn't show up. I tell them, if you're sick, if you're puking, come to work and puke. The necessity of cheering and encouragement. Look in verse 1. We're foreseeing what comes about with so great a cloud of witnesses. There's been a lot written on the cloud of witnesses. Uh, is, is, the word picture is, 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 how many of you have seen a Greek amphitheater, a Roman amphitheater? Some of you have been in them over in Ephesus. Some of you have been in Corinth. They were all over the place. Romans were, were uh, possessed with sports and, and, and games, and their sports was a little different than ours. They, they, and so they, they, would, uh, they would just, that would just give everything. They, it was, entertainment was everything for them. They put those things everywhere, all over the world. This word of cloud of witnesses is as if as the stands of the seating stands rise above the center of the stage uh, on every direction around uh, the center of the stage. So this great cloud of witnesses rises up as if as if we are on the center stage and they are in the in the stands. The difference is they're not spectators; they're witnesses doesn't say they're spectators. It, said, it didn't say a cloud of spectators is up there. It said a cloud of witnesses. Oh, a lot different than a football game, amen? How would you like to go to a football game with 50,000 former professional football players in the stands? It'd be a wild ride, wouldn't it? When they were throwing the ball, they can remember being on the field. When they were making tackles, they were, hey, they can relate to that guy making that tackle. When he fumbled the ball, they know what it means to be hit and fumble the ball at the prime time. In other words, if you had in the, in the, uh, in the stands 50,000 former NFL players and everybody in the stands has 
had experience on the field. That's what this pictures. That's what this is picturing. There's a great cloud of witnesses that is going on before us. Now remember, God does the wording on these things. We don't, we're not creating this. I believe that these people, I don't, I'm not saying they can see every little thing we're doing. I'm not saying that. I think that goes further than the text. But what I am saying is that God used the wordage, God used the verbiage, God used the picture. I believe there's a group of people going on before us that know we're, some may not know you personally, but they know there's a group coming up behind them, and they are rooting for us, and almost verbally rooting for us. I can almost hear Jim McCullum say, let's go out and get them boys and girls for Jesus. Rooting for you. I can almost hear those people that have gone on before me hit the gospel and say, Bill, keep doing. I hear Wayne Van Gelder, Jim Van Gelder's dad, came here and said, Brother, just keep doing what you're doing. Let's keep doing what you're doing. Be consistent. Keep doing what you're doing. I can hear him cheering us on. I don't know about you, but I need, I need a little cheering on once in a while. Amen. I think all of you need a little cheering on once in a while. This thing can get tough. These cloud of witnesses. Crying out encouragements. They're runners in the race or finishers in the race. They understand your battle and your struggles and your pain. And they want you to win. Why, Apple iCloud's got nothing on this cloud. Amen. The iCloud's got nothing on this cloud. This is the witness cloud. It's his cloud. Secondly, I see here in this passage uh, a necessity for a disciplined training period. It says, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily beset us and run with patience the race that is set before us. Okay, let us, the injunctions here, let us lay aside every weight. Is it interesting to you? I believe the Bible, I, I believe in the inspiration of order. I don't believe just an inspiration of the, of the words of the Bible and the letters of the Bible, but I also believe in inspiration of order, if it's a Greek order. And so here you have an order. Let us lay aside every weight. It starts with the weights. You know why? You can't run with weights very far. They'll hinder you. And I see people put weights on their ankles, and, and some put weights on their waists, and they try to run. And it's tough. He said, you want to run this race, you've got to get rid of the extra weight. How many times is your doctor... Doctor, a lot of times you go to a doctor. First thing the doctor will tell you, I'm having a little blood pressure problem, doc. I'm, I'm, I'm having, he said, uh, and, and let's say you look at me and you say, well, well, uh, you probably need to lose about 50 pounds. Well, I'm having a little diabetes. I'm running the edge of diabetes, doc. You say, oh, doc, you know, the easiest thing to do, rather than take all medicine, go, you probably lose 50 pounds. And I'm being gracious. But uh, you don't want to hear that, amen? You don't want to hear that. But, brother, it's not easy to lose weight. Oh, it's fun to gain it. But it's not easy to lose weight. But, you know, there's, there must, there's, there's such a thing biblically as a spiritual encumbrance. There's something that we gain spiritually that slows us down. And that we gain it on, just like fat sticks to us when we overeat food. You know what I think it is? It's hearing too much preaching, not enough doing. Man, that's good. It's hearing too much. It's, it's having so much Bible. It's having so many of the songs of Zion. It's having so many uh, good things of God and, and not taking with a sense of urgency and a sense of importance those things which we know 
and getting out there. Brother, you get out on that hot bus a while, uh, uh, your whole attitude about church changes. You know what? I don't find any of the bus people to be problematic people, ever. If, if, if people are on that bus and they care about that bus and they're doing it because they want to do it, they have a sense of con- a concern, a sense of compassion, a sense of sacrifice, a sense of team playing that helps them run the race. They get rid of the weight. Brother, when you get into bus ministry, you lose some weight. You even lost your hair. You lose some weight when you get. Now, I'm not saying you got to do the bus ministry to be right with God. I almost said that, but I did not say it. It'll hinder your ability to run. Too much pleasure hinders your ability to run. Overwork for material goods, for things that will perish and leave you and you'll leave to others, uh, will hinder your run. Laziness, just being plumb lazy, will hinder your run for Christ. Uh, The first thing is, he says, get rid of some weight. Get rid of some weight. If fishing's stopping you from going visiting, quit fishing the days we visit. If, if, if there's a pleasure you're doing stopping you from doing something God's giving you an opportunity to do and you feel God's in it, then quit that pleasure and do what God wants you to do. It's a better thing. Get rid of the weight. Now, he didn't call them sins. The next thing he says is sin. Then he says, now, get rid of the weights, those hindrances, those things that will make you fat, make you slow you down, make you And then he says, but boy, get rid of sin because you're not going to run well with sin in your life. Sin is like sickness. It'll sap your energy away from your race. It'll, it'll also disqualify you from the race. Uh, and sin, by the way, that indicates sins can be laid aside. Oh, preacher, I can't help myself. I just can't help. Yes, you can. Preacher, I'm just too weak. No, you're not. There's a God in heaven, and if you'll submit to him, he's going to help you, and you will overcome it, and you will have victory. It is of God is guaranteed. All of our you runs on that principle, that Christ will come and help you. Otherwise, you wouldn't even have our you. Just give it up. But God's able to do it. Jesus Christ has come, and he's able to forgive you. He's able to cleanse you. He's able to give you the right desires. If you'll seek him, you will find him. And he will help you to overcome the sins. Confessing your sins to God. Confess your sins and faults one to another. Keeping yourself little in your own eyes. That's worth coming tonight. When you hear Saul went bad, when you hear David went bad, you hear the same thing. When you were little in your own eyes, you were okay. But as soon as you got to be a big shot, as soon as you got to think you didn't need, that somehow you didn't need me, like when you were a little guy. Remember when you first went to college, Doc, how it was scary? And how you said, oh, Lord, remember how you prayed? Lord, help me make this test. Help me make this do. Help me do this. Lord, I got no money. You know, my dad's a preacher. He's a poor preacher. He's got no dough. And, and you know, Lord, how am I going to ever get to be a doctor? I know when I went to college, I had nobody really helping me, and I didn't want anybody to help me. I wanted to see God do it. And uh, my, my parents offered. I turned them down. And, and uh, you know, I just said, God, if we're going to do this, it's going to be you and me, and we're going to do it, and I'm going to come out debt-free. Amen, it happened. Seven years later, I didn't set no time scale with God. You know, like, like Brother Moon, 10 years. I knew Brother Moon was going to be a good servant of God when he told me it took 10 years to go to, to go to college. 
I thought anybody's got the stick to itism to go 10 years persistently to finish college has got to be the kind of people God's looking for. Amen. Now, he did not take 10 years because he was exceptionally slow. He took 10 years because he was, he was just struggling to get the money to make it happen and work at the same time. And he was looking for motivation named Angie. Let us lay aside every weight this year. How about it? How about determining to lay aside some weights? You know what they are. How about, how about lay aside some sins? Some of you folks are hanging on to stuff that you know is wrong and you know God's against it, but you're just hanging on to that thing is going to destroy and taint the good things that God wants for you if you're not willing to lay aside that sin that does so easily. Oh, I'm tough, preacher. Don't say that. He that thinks he stands, beware lest he fall. But you, you don't get out there and tell, I'm good. I, you don't hear me up here telling you how tough I am. I'm telling you, I'm weak, but God is strong. And I'm relying on the strength of God to bring me through this thing. Man, I started saying, well, Bill Lytell is 65. He's been a Christian a long time. He's going to make it. You know the next day or two, I'm going to be gone. It'll be over. The devil will hear that, and he'll go, ooh, he's running on his own now. Let's get him. Let us thirdly run with patience. We run with patience. Patience implies two things, endurance and trouble. Tribulation worketh patience. You get patience because of pain. You learn to use it one day at a time, sweet Jesus. One foot in front of the other, sweet Jesus. Just one, I just I can make it another hour. I can make it another hour. Uh, some of you have been in pain now. You know what I'm talking about. Kidney stone. Um, I'm trying to think of some pain. Kidney stone. Ooh, kidney stone. That gets your attention, doesn't it? Gout. Gout will make it one of just like one more. I can make it one more hour. I can live one more hour. I can do this one more hour. There's certain things come upon you. And you know what? You can make it. You may get in a, you may get in a crunch and everything, and you just trust God. It's one moment by moment. Patience. Let, her ha let patience have its perfect work. What, what is all that about? It's accepting the process that God has chosen in your life. Look, I don't have a clue what's going to happen to any of us this year. But I know something's going to happen. Good things are going to happen. Bad things are going to happen. Some of you folks are going to be in heaven the same time next year. We're going to be holding the service. I'll add you to my list. I mean, that list, by the way, was added to slowly. And, and we don't know what's going to happen, do we? You don't know if you're going to be set, you're sitting beside your mate tonight. Next year at this time, your mate's gone. You're sitting here by yourself. But, you know, God hadn't left you. He hadn't gone anywhere. He's not going to go anywhere. He's never going to leave you. never going to forsake you. Don't get bitter with the process. Don't get bitter at the trainer. Don't get bitter at the, My dad used to say that his drill instructor was trying to save him as he was, he was being mean to him and causing him to do all hard stuff and everything. He said, the drill instructor kept telling him, I'm trying to save your life. The first one, you begin to run the race is brutal. Ask anybody who started to run. My son here started to run a while back. How was it? It's brutal. You realize how horribly out of shape you are. My wife and I, years ago when I was 40 years old, when you're 40, it's a crisis time. I don't know what it is. It's not the midlife crisis because you're not probably going to live to 80, but nevertheless. So 
I told my wife, I am going to run. I am going to start running. I said, and, and you volunteered to run with me. She said, I don't want to run. I said, you're going to run with me. Now, this is, this is somewhat of an inside thing I'm telling you. Do not put this on Facebook. And I, I told my wife, I said, now, Kathy, you got to run. We got to run. We got to run. She said, I don't like running. I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to run. She always does this. Well, if you'll run with me. I don't, run to want to, I don't want to run with you. I want to run by myself, and I want you to run by yourself because I outrun you so bad, it won't be a running for me. And so she said, you, I'll go if you go with me. I'll go if you run with me. I said, okay, we'll go. So we dressed in our, our whatever we had on, and we went, and we went out to uh, the road, the main road back there in Three Oaks, and we started getting on that sidewalk, and we started running. And, and she was running. And I would sit beside her and go, is that as fast as you can run? That's it? I was walking as her speed of running. It's true. I said, you're running? I can walk that fast. And, 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 and I said, I'll tell you, I, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to run. i got to run faster than that. So we began to run. What was it? How far did you run the first? Quarter mile? Quarter mile. She was totally winded like it was going to be the last breath she ever took. One quarter mile. I came back after running a half mile. I, I thought I was going to have to die to get better. And I said, I am in the worst shape of my whole life. You're in, you and I are just in horrible cardiovascular condition. We're going to run. So three years about, we ran. Got where we could run three miles. She got where she could run two miles and kick it at the end and feel good and actually didn't feel right if you didn't run. I have some idea what it takes to get in a place where you want to run them. When you say, I want to run for Jesus, I want to be, in the, I want to be in, the, in the program for God, trust me when I tell you this, getting in is not going to be painless. There's a process of the race that God has to pull the weight off of you. You, get, you got to deal with the sins. The patience has to be developed as you run the race. And then lastly, and the sweetest of it all, is when you look in a race, what do you run? You run for a goal, don't you? I remember running on, on, on uh, the uh, road that we ran that it, you get so familiar with that route that you know when you're halfway, you know when you're three-quarters of the way, and you begin to get excited at about, you know, nine-tenths of the way through your run. You're starting to think, man, I'm, I'm done. I'm, even if you like it, you know, even if you like it. If done, you kick it, last part, can give it as hard as you can run it. Looking at the goal there, you got a place where you know you've marked it out. That's where you stop. I ran track in high school, ran a 440-yard dash, dash. It's not a long run. It's run full out, all out for 440 yards to see who, ends, who wins at the end. And I never ran anything more painful than the 440. The 440 is painful. After the second turn, it's all pain from all the way around third turn, fourth turn, into the deal. It's unbelievable. And I know what it's like. On this fourth thing where it says looking unto Jesus. Let us look to Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. It's a constant look. It's lifting your head up. When we come around to that, I, 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 when you're running, you know, you're looking ahead of you. You're not supposed to look to the side. You're not supposed to look back. You're running. You come to that third turn. You come to that fourth turn. When you hit that fourth turn, and, and you know, you may look all over to the side of you, see who's beside you. If nobody's ahead of you, it's a good thing. 
Ain't been running, nobody had any good thing. One time I ran, one time my coach put me in the 440 and I really was out of shape. He said, I want you to run without anybody in the 440. It was against Concord. He said, I want you to run, even if you lose, don't make any just running. So I got on there and I was out of shape and I was upset with the coach running the thing because I wasn't one of my races. And I got running that thing and around the fourth turn, I couldn't see anybody. They were all behind me. I was amazed. The coach was up at the finish line. He was crazy. He said he didn't expect to even get a place here. I was getting ready. And he was like, run, Lytell, run. And he was, he was up there doing this, Lytell. I just got to believe that by the grace of God, there's people up the brim. Those people I mentioned before in the classical witnesses saying, run, run. Don't give up. You've about got it. Go. Don't drop it now. And, boy, I gave it everything I had. My legs began to cramp up. I couldn't go any faster. I could hear the beats of the feet behind me. I said, somebody's going to go right by me and win this thing. I had all kinds of horrible thoughts going through my mind. There's a war going on internally as you're running through it. Giving it all I got, and I was just cramping up and getting worse. As I, and I, I, I ran across the finish line before everybody else. The only race in the 440 I ever won. The coach couldn't believe it. That's how much faith he had in me. I can't believe it. How'd you do that? I said, I don't know. Everybody was bad today. I think there's a necessity for focus. And I'm about done. There's a necessity for focus. You should focus. Looking unto Jesus has to do with focusing. It has to do with concentrating. And then lastly, there's a necessity of a prize. People come to me, pseudo-spiritual kind of a response. I, I'm, I'm not serving Jesus for reward. Oh, well, when you see him, you tell him you don't want it. Come on. Of course you're not serving Jesus for that kind of reward. But Jesus thought it good enough to give you reward. When somebody comes to you and in sincerity says they want to buy your meal, and they say, now, I, I mean I want to really buy your meal. Don't eat cheap on me. Because if you eat cheap on me, you're going to hurt my feelings. When you really want to do somebody a turn, and you take them out, and this happened to me many times, I've taken people out to eat, and I want to buy them, and I want to really do them a turn, and they eat really little portions. I'm like, man, I want you to have a ribeye. Well, yeah, but I won't do that on your nickel. Okay, you buy. I'll eat a ribeye. <laughs> I, I can get over it. And God says, I want to give you these things. This is my prerogative as the king of kings, as the lord of the race, and I want to give you these things. These are, these are the things I've made to give you if you'll serve me and, and run the race set before you, if you'll, if you'll get rid of the excess weight that's slowing you down, if you'll get rid of that sin, those sins, those pesty, wicked sins that you won't confess and won't humble yourself on and won't look little in your own eyes, if you'll not be willing to, to be patient and to let patience have her perfect work, and if, you, if you'll keep just looking at me, the prize, your focus is on me, you'll win. Jesus, who for the joy was set before him, endured the cross. For the what? For the what? For the joy. When Jesus was in the garden, and the devil was whispering, 
and his flesh was whispering, or whatever was going on in him that was causing him to have great drops, as it were, great drops of blood, right? He said, in his mind, he had to be reasoning, if I go, if I'll go through this, I'll be mocked, and I'll take on the sins of the world. All these people are going to get their sins forgiven and get to go to heaven forever. The untold millions of born-again Christians are going to get to be saved. It was the joy that was set before him. And that's why we're doing what we're doing. It's the joy that's set before us. Just like Jesus, our author and our finisher, that joy that was set before him is the same joy we've got. Won't it be something, Tom? Just I don't know if you can imagine this and still stay in your seat. When, you're, when you die and go to heaven by the grace of God, and you go up and somehow, wouldn't it be something if God gathered around you a group of folks? Now, we're not talking just the ones that got influenced or got saved, but the ones who got saved from their testimony and then their testimony and then their testimony. It's a bit more than you can take. It'd make heaven heaven. It'd make the pain worth every, every mile of the trip. It'd make, it'd make the leanness that you had to get to be good at the race worth every mile of the trip. For the joy that was set before him, he despised the shame. Yeah. And it's set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And what does that mean? It simply means that's a place of finishing. He's set down at the right hand. It's finished. He's done it. Now, how about you? I'm in my race. I don't know where I'm at in my race, but I'm in my race. You're in your race. I don't know where you're at. Sometimes we look at a guy like Chris, young guys, and Heather, 23 years old. We say, oh, they got a long race ahead of them. Do they? Do they? You remember Crown College busload of kids that sang down to Seagate that night and then on the way home got hit head on by a a, a Fruit truck, I think it was, plowed into them head on, killed every one of them. As they were singing that night, that was their swan song. That was their last song. That can happen to anyone at any time that God desires and says, it's okay, it's time to come home. Run your race because you don't know if you got another race. This is it. Today's the race. Run it this year with all you got. Finish well. Do right. Put your hand to the plow. Till God has to take it off and say, it's over, son. It's over. Father, help us that we would understand in some degree the race that we have been given and put in. Help us not to ruin our race by selfish, stupid, idiotic, self-centered, self-serving ideologies. God, help us to realize there's a bigger picture. There's things eternal at stake here. Their souls at stake. Father, help. I pray that you'd anoint some folks tonight that they would determine. They would determine, I'm going to do this by the grace of God this year for God. I'm going to do it. If you'll help me, I'll do it one day at a time. Lord, it could be soul winning. It could be reading the Bible. It could be all of the above. It could be being part of God's program here at the gospel. It could be teaching a Sunday school class. It could be nursing home. It could be bus ministry. It could be anything. God, help them to run the race. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.